Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that wants everyone to know that Halloween is by far the safest day to kill a person and leave them in a chair on your front porch. It's Dale. <laughs> yeah, it's better than a bag of leaves, ain't it? You got that right. <laughs> Nobody will know. Nobody will know until, you know, well, somebody will know. Or you can just have a... Graves in your front yard for a while, nobody knows the difference either. That's right. Look at this. It looks so realistic. It does. Oh, very <laughs> realistic. Wow. Such a great job. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on, dude? Definitely not the same old, same old. Why That's not? That's for sure. Why you not know. today? Well, you know, everybody knows it's fair time, right? So, yep. So, been spending tons of time there and at work and here. And so, we were up early, early this morning to get this show done for the for the people, man. Exactly. Got to get it done for the people. Yeah, we love our listeners. We do, man. And we hate to miss a week. And we, we if we don't have to, we do not. So, we get our recording done when we can. That's right. We do it for you. The struggle is real. It is. It's very real this morning. It's, it's early. Very <laughs> it's very early. early. Yeah. yeah. But that's all right. That's right. It's all good. It's all good. You got any good shout-outs, dude? Anybody you want to talk about? Oh, hey. look at there. We do have a brand new Apple five-star five star, five star. review. And this comes from, uh, it says uh, Joshua 1.5, which I'm assuming is a Bible reference, but that's cool. And it says, love it. You're my kind of people. Just moved back to Anderson, South Carolina from Montana, and so glad I found your podcast. Going to binge all episodes while I work third shift this week. But gosh, if you get them all in one week, you're you're really marathoning, dude. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he goes on to say, when I hear you guys' accent, I want to say, in parentheses, in the most honorable and loving way. And then it says, you might be a redneck if. <laughs> I love it. If you want to hear stories that you haven't been told already through other podcasts, these guys are the source. We're the source. We're the Whoa. source. Hey, that's a new shirt. We are the source. What? How about that? Put that on shirt. Anyway, we really appreciate that. Thanks so much for dropping in and giving us a five star and putting something in the box so we can read it on air. Well, thank you, Joshua One Five. That's right. Really cool, man. We really do cool. appreciate a whole big bunch and tell all your friends and tell all your friends to leave a five star on Apple Podcasts and write something in the box. That's right. Yep. That's right. Now I think you got something to talk about, don't you? Yeah, I got an email yesterday. I didn't see it till this morning, but uh, one of our loyal listeners, her name is uh, Mary Beth Feltz. She went to CrimeCon this year down in Orlando, Florida. Yeah, we didn't get to go. No, and she represented the crack house, man. Yeah, she did. She sent a photograph of her with Mike and Gibby from True Crime All the Time and True Crime Unsolved. Yeah. I'm blown away, man. And she was wearing a Crack House Chronicles t-shirt. Right. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, and she was... uh, Representing. Yeah, representing us big time. (laughs) That was pretty awesome. So, Mary Beth Feltz, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Very, very much. Man, that's just super cool. Yeah, I was blown away by that. I, it got me. Yeah, reach out to us. We'll send you a, a swag bag or something. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot us an email. I'll reply back to your email, and we'll correspond a little bit, and we'll exchange some info, and I'll get you some stuff sent out. How cool is that, man? That's very cool. All right. We really wanted to go. We just couldn't make it happen this year, but maybe next year. But thanks for representing us, and uh, hope you hope you got a good couple of looks from your your crack house attire that's right How about that fancy word i love that word attire <laughs> that's if what you have on your car yeah if anybody wants to be like them. if anybody wants to be like mary beth and go to the store page it's getting cooler weather you can get you a long sleeve t-shirt or a hoodie yeah it's gonna be about 40 degrees here yeah it can be cool so you can represent us that way or you can just tell a friend about us that's right whatever you want to do we appreciate we it appreciate all. any and all we do yeah we do yep all right, man. Anything, anything else for, you want to mention before we get going? No, let's get it going. All right. Because we've got a 
It's early. We got another North Carolina case this week. We do. Yeah, we had a North Carolina case last week, but we're back in North Carolina again. Well, we kind of stay here, don't we? But this one we're talking, <laughs> yeah, this one we're talking about, it um, hasn't been covered too much. There's not too much information on it. No. No. And I don't know why. No, it's it's pretty pretty bad. Yeah. But we're back up in the mountains this week. You know, we've done some cases that are up in the mountains. I'm telling you. But this one here is a little bit different, but it's pretty brutal. See, now you know why I don't go hiking. Yeah. You don't, Dale, don't hike at all. <laughs> I hiked about 4,000 miles at the fairground, I feel like, but not not the wood stuff. Dale hikes to the refrigerator and back. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh, I got some special. I'm going to give me some uh, hiking boot crocs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but today we're talking about a lady by the name of Karen Lynn Stiles. Very pretty girl. Yes, and we'll post some pictures of her. But just a little bit of background on Karen Stiles. She was born on July 28th, 1972. And she is from Candler, North Carolina. Her parents are James Thad Stiles, and her mother is Catherine Stiles. And Dale, they were married for 14 years before Karen was born. Hmm. And they reported that Karen brought absolute joy to their life. I bet so. Yeah. When she was around nine months old, her mom said that she put her in a car seat next to her dad while they were watching the San Francisco 49ers on television. Hmm. And Karen became a big football fan after that. She watched football with her dad every Sunday or when the games were on, and she fell in love with Joe Montana. He was a good one. Yeah, from the 49ers. And in 1979, when Karen was seven years old, she was watching Joe's first game. Hmm. And by that time, you know, it was reported that she was already a football expert. And she told her dad that he was going to be a good quarterback. He was good, but I hated him back then because I'm a Cowboys fan. So, you know, just coming along with the with the territory. But tons of respect for the dude. Yeah, I bet. You know, I was telling you earlier, I, said, I bet you hated when the 49ers rolled into Dallas. Yeah, every time. Yeah. Because they were both really good. And, you you know, it was up for a game. Yeah, there's going to be some anxiety going on yeah, there. Yeah, I get, I get too involved. But uh, – <laughs> But Karen was a, a beautiful girl. She was a kind-hearted, intelligent young woman, and they said she just loved her parents to death. Mm. And in high school, Karen was an honor student in several clubs and organizations, and she was also on the track team and yearbook staff. Mm. And in 1990, she graduated from Inca High School. Yeah, I was on the yearbook staff. Yeah. I wasn't running nowhere, though. No. <laughs> But during college, Karen went to Western Carolina University. That's in Cullowee, North yep. Carolina, up Cat in the mountains. mountains. Yeah. And while there, she helped develop a new program for disabled people. Hmm. And she also held down three jobs. And get this, she still made the dean's list. Good gracious. So very, very smart gal. Yeah, big brain, man. Yes. And she worked at a Girl Scout camp during the summer of 1991. Good Lord. And was certified in ropes courses and rafting. The Nantahala River. You have all this time. Yeah, she, yeah, she done a lot. She did. And Karen received her Bachelor of Science in Therapeutic Recreation from Western Carolina in 1994. Hmm. Pretty amazing. Yeah, so she was on her way, well on her way. Yeah. And after college, Karen landed a job with a state-run boys' wilderness camp in South Carolina. And that program extended to the girls, too. And she was supposed there on that job to help develop the program. That's what she was supposed to do. Hmm. I guess expand it and 
uh, recreate it a little bit and make it more useful for everybody, the boys and the girls. Make it more better. Yeah. yeah. And there, Dale, she was excited to start her new job where she would uh, be on seven days on and seven days off. Hmm. So I guess, you know, she'd spend a week there and then spend a week back home. And her mom said she was living in a platform tent, sleeping in her sleeping bag. So that's dedication. Yes. Yeah. Good gracious. She that, that's, that was her thing. She loved that kind of stuff. Uh, apparently, yeah. So Karen returned to her home there in Candler the first week in August of 1994 after completing a 12-week internship on July 31st. This was at a Montana wilderness camp. And while she was back home, she also worked part-time at Maurice's in the Asheville Mall. Hmm. Yeah, you remember Maurice, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Clothing store. Yeah. I've been there many, 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 many times. But it was reported Karen loved the outdoors and often went biking or jogging there in the Pisgah National Forest. And she had a good friend she did this with. Her name was Jennifer Olive. Now, it had been reported that Karen was in really good shape. You know, she was in... Well, apparently she, she hadn't stopped doing a thing since she was a kid, sounds like. Yeah. So she had to be in good shape. I don't think she ever sat down. <laughs> good gracious, this girl's done it all. No, she was either that or sleeping in a tent. Yeah. All right, Dale, we're moving up to October the 31st, 1994. This is Halloween. Right. And Karen was 22. Favorite holiday of the year. Yep. And she was scheduled to go to work at Maurice's at 2 p.m. So that morning, she decided to go for a run before work. Now, her friend Jennifer usually went with her on her biking and jogging adventures. The excursions, if yeah, but you will. Jennifer wasn't available to go that morning, so Karen decided to go by herself. Right. And she put on her T-shirt, running shoes, and shorts. And then she jumped in her white four-door Plymouth Reliant. You remember Reliance? I do. I don't remember what they look like. They're four-door cars. Yeah. Yeah, but she drove to the... <laughs> She drove to the forest trail at the Bent Creek area of Pisgah National Forest, which is owned by the U.S. Forest Service. Right. Now, the following day, police found Karen's Plymouth Reliant with keys and wallet inside in a parking lot near the Hard Times Loop Trail. This is right there at the Bent Creek area. Hard times. Yeah. And Karen didn't come home that night before, and her parents reported her missing, so that's why they went looking for her. Right. And by 10 p.m., there were more than 60 searchers scouring the area looking for mm. Karen. And their biggest fear was that Karen had developed hypothermia because, right. you know, the temperature dropped in the 20s that night before. Right. So they were looking for her hard and heavy. Really worried, yeah. I get it. And the next day, a car door key that Karen kept with her while she was running was found on a dirt trail along this trail. But it was about 200 yards from her car. Wow. Yeah. Now That was lucky. Yeah. Now, search dogs and search teams, they found hot spots that indicated Karen's scent in the area. Then this area that she was known to have run, but it led nowhere. Hmm. Now, divers... That's odd, isn't it? I know. And divers searched the dam end area of Lake Poeton and found nothing. I'm glad you said that word. Now, authorities, they spent several days searching for Karen. And her parents distributed missing person flyers with her picture and description all over the area. But nothing brought them closer to finding her. Hmm. It was crazy. So they found a key and some scent, but nothing else. Yeah, yeah and they believed that, you know, she had been abducted and taken out of the park, is what wow. they theorized. Right. 
which mm. makes sense if you think about when they had all those searchers out there looking to get yeah I mean, it's really lucky they found a key and it wasn't ground in the dirt truthfully and the dogs didn't find anything either yeah it's odd that they found some sense but it just went i guess went cold right yeah now around 10 30 a.m on november 13th there was a wildlife officer his name was tim sisk and he found a bloody t-shirt and called federal authorities Ooh. yeah and they remained tight-lipped on this for a while. So, so we found it, but nobody, he, they didn't tell anybody. Yeah. Okay. And it was unclear if it was confirmed to be Karen's or not, but the search for her would end in a grisly manner. Mm. There was a, a deer hunter that found Karen's partially clothed remains about 1.30 p.m. on Friday, November 25th of 1994. So almost a month later. Yeah. And she was duct taped to a small tree down a steep embankment off a dirt service road. It was about a mile from her car. Wow. Yeah. And teams had already searched that area, but somehow they they missed it. They missed her body that had been placed, you know, there. and Duct taped to a tree. Yeah, they missed it. But it was a dense area, and the steep terrain prevented authorities from, from finding her is what they're claiming. Mm. But the deer hunter had been there about 100 feet from her earlier and didn't right. see her mm. that's that's crazy too so i get it i mean some of these places are dense right yeah but this uh, forest area too this is a an experimental forest that's done by the u.s forestry service so i guess it's stuff they had planted yeah i was gonna say what does that mean yeah it's stuff they had planted and experiment with trees and and growth and stuff so i get that why it would be dense in some areas yeah but Karen's body was transported to North Carolina's medical examiner's offices in, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where identification was made through her dental records. And the autopsy determined that she had died from a single gunshot wound to the head. Mm. And due to decomposition, the medical examiner could not determine whether she'd been sexually assaulted or not. Mm. Now, Karen's parents, they, they were devastated. Oh, I'm sure. Of losing their only child. Especially, I mean, this one. I mean, good Lord, everything she had done. It was, she had so much potential going here. Now, Dale, when they found her body there in the area, they found a twenty-two caliber shell casing. Right. A pornographic magazine. And Karen's body that was taped to the tree, duct taped to the tree. Right. And she was uh, nude from the waist down. And they also found uh, the wrapper up from the duct tape. Yes. Now, Which would be the key. Yeah, this wrapper was the key to everything because they discovered that this wrapper was only sold at Kmart. Right. And this Kmart that they found was just like a, a mile, mile and a half from the trail. Right. So that's where they went. And they went to this Kmart right. looking. And they found there through their records where the duct tape was purchased, a twenty two caliber rifle was purchased. 22 caliber ammunition was purchased, a flashlight, and some batteries. Correct. Yes. And through this purchase and through this good detective work, they found that it was purchased by a man by the name of Richard Allen Jackson. Right. It's great detective work. I mean, just looking at a wrapper and knowing it came from Kmart. Mm-hmm. And he went down there and luckily found it. And it was only bought, like, I think it was on the 28th. Yeah. The, the receipt was marked. Yeah, so it was just a few days a few before. A few days before this happened. That's right. Now, they... Brought Jackson into the police station for an interview. Right. And he was telling them stuff. and Yeah, I think he talked to him for about three hours. Because he yeah. came in and just said, he waved his Miranda rights right off the bat. 
and just was going to talk to them. They talked to them for about three hours. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Sheriff Bobby Medford come in to interview and just asked him point blank, what did you do with the gun that you shot Karen Stiles with? And it was at this point, he looked up and said, I think I need a lawyer. Yeah. So Medford went on to say, well, son, I know you bought, a, bought the rifle and the duct tape at Kmart on the 28th of October. I know you were in Bent Creek on the day she was killed, and that's fine, but you're going to need some help. Mm-hmm. And it was at this point, he kind of just broke down. And like he's like, well. And crying. Yeah, I just started crying and said, I really need to tell you what happened and get this off my chest. So they had him, they brought a, a document in and had him sign off, even though he had asked for a lawyer and they were supposed to stop right there. After the sheriff made the comment, he uh, kind of wanted to talk to him anyway. So he signed off that he had waived his Miranda rights for the second time and yes. went on to tell his story. Yeah. And he also insisted that he did not mean to kill anybody. Right. That's what he was saying. But after he asked for a lawyer, everything should have stopped. Yes. You just walk out of the room. Be done with it. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they kept on. Well, he made the comment. And I don't know if this fellow had a little bit of learning disability or if he was, I don't know. But it's kind of odd that he would just come in and the sheriff would make, if he knew, you know, it's like he kind of knew if he would push him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe he knew from doing it so much that he was on the verge or whatever. But yeah. but uh, he really got to him when he said that. And then that's when he started telling him exactly what had happened. But Jackson confessed fully. Yeah. He stated that he arrived at the Bent Creek area at around 8 a.m. Yep. And he watched Karen as she stretched and walked down the trail. Mm-hmm. And after sitting for a while in his car, he took the gun out of the back of the car, loaded it, and he had his pornographic magazine in his coat. Yep, the duct tape and a stun gun. Yes. And he followed her. He followed her. And after Karen passed him on the trail, Jackson turned around and pointed the gun at her. Mm-hmm. And that's when Karen took the key out of her shoe. I was wondering, this is kind of weird to me. I guess maybe she had like a pocket or stuck it in the laces or something. Because surely you wouldn't, if you're going to, this is what a lace, like an eight mile trail. Yeah. And if you were going jogging, I wouldn't think you'd want a key in your shoe. Yeah. Unless it's, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they make shoes with key holders or something. I don't know. Yeah. Or tied it into the laces or something. Yeah. You know, it was just kind of odd to me. Yeah. But I get it. I get it. Yeah. Go ahead. But it's, it was reported that she took the key out of her shoe and told Jackson that there was money in her car. And, take they, it. and he could take the car, mm-hmm. just whatever, but just don't hurt her. Right. And well, that ain't what he wanted. No, Jackson at that time placed the duct tape over her eyes and mouth mm-hmm. and led her to a remote area. Right, in the woods. Yeah, and that's where he stood her up with her back to a tree and duct taped her to the tree. Yes. And the duct tape on Karen's mouth had started to come loose by this time, and Karen asked him again to not hurt her. And he taped her mouth again. And at this point, he ripped off her shorts and underpants mm-hmm. and raped her vaginally. Yep. But Jackson, his little tale of this didn't describe everything. Yeah, he left some parts out. Yeah. He just said after that he had stepped away and then grabbed his pornographic magazine and then masturbated in front of her. Yeah. Which is weird. But when the autopsy was done, they found that Karen had been uh, stun gunned. Yeah, she had some burn marks on her, like yeah. 10 of them. And then they figured out that there was a stun gun. One of the stun gun prints was near her left breast. Mm-hmm. And nine others were in within a six-inch area of her pubic area. Right. Yeah. So this girl was brutally 
She was tortured. Yes. There's ain't no easy way to say it. No. But Jackson stated that he moved away, like you said, and looked at his pornographic magazine. Right and he might have did that, but he, he failed to mention the part about the stun gun. Yeah. You know, and then he kept saying that, you know, he didn't mean to do this and he didn't mean to kill her. But, but when he stepped away and was masturbating to his magazine, the tape over her mouth loosened again. Mm-hmm. And this when Karen began screaming. Yep. And Jackson walked up to her, put the gun to her head, and shot her once in the head. Mm, killing her instantly. Wow. And that afternoon, Jackson. Uh, yeah, he left. The, that's when he left. Yeah, he went back to the Kmart, and I get this, and returned the gun. For a and, full refund. Yeah. How's how stupid is that? Well, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's a whole lot of stupid going on. Yeah. But Jackson was crying during the entire confession, and the report of his confession indicates that at times during the interview, officers could not understand his words. Yeah, it was just blubbering. But he was continually repeating that many times over he didn't mean to kill her. Yeah, right. You know, because, you know, you, you go hiking a lot. You always carry your duct tape and stun gun and rifle and bullets and My all por- that good Pornographic stuff. magazine. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the main things you take when you go hiking. I guess, yeah. Now, there was a search of Jackson's home and cars, and the search warrant led investigators to recover a functional stun gun, a flashlight, a black ninja outfit, Hot a wrapper to an adult magazine, and a partially empty box of twenty-two caliber rifle bullets. Imagine that. Yeah. Now, Jackson was charged in Buncombe County with first-degree murder, first-degree kidnapping, and first-degree rape. And after the court denied Jackson's pretrial motion to suppress his confession, a jury returned a guilty verdict on all three charges. Mm. And on the jury's recommendation, the court imposed the death penalty for the murder conviction and prison sentences for rape and kidnapping convictions. Now, on appeal, the North Carolina Supreme Court reversed Jackson's conviction and ordered a new trial concluding that police had violated Jackson's Miranda rights and, but you know, not to be interrogated after he had invoked right. Like you said before, they should have done that instead of trying to basically coerce him into go ahead and talking anyway. Yeah, after he wanted a lawyer. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, just a little bit of background on Richard Allen Jackson. This guy, he was married with two small kids. Uh, when he was six years old, he was adopted by J.D. Jackson Jr. and his wife, Sally Jackson, right. after fostering him for several months. But now his dad, J.D. Jackson, was a well-known real estate broker, civic leader, and former county commissioner for Buncombe County. Wow. They said that uh, his wife, him and his wife, raised him with uh, good values and a loving environment. Yeah, it sounds like he's, these guys are uh, pretty good. Yeah. You know, pillars of the community. Now, Jackson graduated from Asheville High School and left home shortly after his 18th birthday and later married a lady by the name of Jerry Donna King, and they had those two kids together. Mm. Now, his dad, J.D. Jackson, owned and run a Mountain View restaurant there near Asheville. Yeah, he, he had bought that in June of 93. Yeah, and his son worked there yeah, as a, a dishwasher. dishwasher. Yeah. And police described him as a good person who always spoke kindly of his wife and kids. Well... I guess you never know, do you? Yeah. But the restaurant was only just a few miles from Lake Poeton. Right. But Richard Allen Jackson had a minor criminal past involving 
trespassing conviction in 1989, and a few traffic violations. Which is yeah, no big deal, really. Mm-mm. And now, like we said, on the jury's recommendation, the court imposed the death penalty for the murder conviction and prison sentences for the rape and kidnapping convictions. But, you know, like with anything else, anything like that, you get an appeal. Yeah, hopefully. And the North Carolina Supreme Court reversed his conviction and ordered a new trial, concluding that the police had violated his Miranda right not to be interrogated after he invoked the right to counsel. Right. Yeah. You, know, you know, it's kind of wild that he said that he had actually told his dad before all this that they just come in and told me I did it. You know, they kept pounding on me and telling me I did it. And that's when he, you know, kind of said, you know, basically they wouldn't let him use the phone. This is all stuff he had told his dad. Now, whether it's true or not, you know, we don't know. Mm-hmm. They told him they wouldn't let him use his phone, and he didn't He didn't need an attorney when he asked for one. And I think that's when the sheriff had told him, you know, go ahead and you're going to need some help. But then he told on himself. It's kind of odd. Mm-hmm. You know, he just went in. And they, they tried to say he'd come in voluntary, but I don't think it happened that way. I think uh, when they found out who it was, they went and got him. Yeah, asked him to come in for an interview. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was asking nicely either, probably. Yeah, you, this is what you got to do. Yeah. Now, on March the 3rd, 2000, Richard Allen Jackson pled guilty in state court to second-degree murder, first-degree rape, and second-degree kidnapping. And the stipulated prison sentences in the agreement totaled over 31 years, and Jackson received credit for five years already served. Right. And at the time of his plea, none of his lawyers considered the possibility of a federal prosecution, and none advised Jackson that he could be subject to federal prosecution. It's kind of a blindside. It was. So on November the 6th of 2000, a federal grand jury returned a superseding bill of indictment charging Richard Allen Jackson in one count of using a firearm during and in relation to a crime of violence specifically murder, kidnapping, and aggravated sexual assault. At trial, the government called 22 witnesses during the guilt phase and introduced extensive physical and testimonial evidence, including Jackson's confession, which was received without objection. And the jury returned a guilty verdict and then proceeded to consider the appropriate sentence. So they they still found a way to get him. Yeah. Now get this. During the sentencing phase, the government presented the testimony of the victim's mother, Kathleen Stiles, and the defense presented the testimony of Jackson's adopted mother, Sally Jackson. Now, the defense also attempted to offer a testimony of the adopted parents, Jackson's natural sister, who suffered from some behavioral disorders. Hmm. They, they tried to say that... So they're saying that she's probably like a sister. Yeah, that's what they were trying to say. Since she'd already been diagnosed with this stuff, they said, well, maybe he's like that. Right, so, and this is what happened, yeah. Yeah. I don't think that worked out too good. I don't think it did either. No, they said that they had actually found an interview with a news channel where he was talking about stuff and he was... Interviewing his questions and right, stuff. So yeah, he, he seemed to have doing. his uh, shit together. Yeah, they tried to play it out like he didn't. I mean, and I get that if you're a parent or whatever thinking, but... You're going to try everything you can to yeah. get him off, yeah. Yeah, but no, sorry. And the jury found unanimously that the government had proved beyond a reasonable doubt four aggravating factors, including the fact that Karen Stiles' death occurred during the commission of the offense of kidnapping as defined under U.S. rules. Oh, yeah. And I'm, nobody's arguing that fact. So basically what we're saying is they tried to get him through the state, and then they made the, the judge throw out the confession. So they had the, they went in and talked to him and basically got him to 
agree to a uh, plea bargain where he would serve around 30 years. Yes, that's right. And then all of a sudden they blindsided him with a federal charge of the same thing to get him back on death row. That's right. So that's when we're moving up to April the 20th of 2022. It's not long ago. There was a three-judge U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit ruled unanimously against an appeal by Jackson. And the court concluded that he should face death penalty for the murder of Karen Stiles. I agree. Yep. The judge, her name was Diana Gribben Motts, and she said he contends that the government failed to prove that he committed a crime of violence. He is wrong. The the jury unanimously found Richard Allen Jackson guilty of federal premeditated first-degree murder, which constitutes a qualifying crime of violence. You think? Yep. Accordingly, we affirm the district court's denial of Jackson's successive 2255 motion. So today, Richard Allen Jackson is currently on death row in federal prison in Terre Haute, Indiana. That's crazy, man. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it takes so long. I mean, yeah. whether it won't, you know. This I, was 94 I, when this happened. Right. I know, you know, there's a lot of people, it's on both sides of the death penalty thing and, you know, whatever. Whatever you think, you know, that's cool. But I don't understand why. If they, why it takes so long? I mean, especially if you know. I mean, it, I've always said, you know, if it's something that you you know for sure happened, you know. I mean, I don't want nobody that's been uh, accused wrongly, you know, something go wrong, you know, with that. How that, you know, how that goes. Yeah. But if it's something where it's definite, why why wait sixty years or thirty years? I mean, because these people have been on death row forever. I know. So what is the damn difference, really? I know. I mean, everybody's entitled to an appeal. Yeah. Oh, I get yeah, it. yeah. I'll say oh, I'm all about that. But if you've exhausted your appeals, it's time to move on. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I ain't trying to get too deep in the weeds here, but I just, you know. I, don't I get what you're saying. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense for somebody to go, if you're on death row, to go in there and sit from, what did you say, 1994, 95, till, whenever. And still till today. Yeah. Right. But now authorities believe Richard Allen Jackson might be responsible for two unsolved murders that were similar to Karen Stiles. There was a lady by the name of Beverly Sherman. She was 17, and she was shot in the head on January the 20th, 1987. Her friends last saw her at 4 p.m. entering a small yellow automobile driven by an unidentified white male behind the Asheville Civic Center. Hmm. And police found her body on April 26, 1987, near the steep hill on Vance Gap Road. And it was also... So that's all they know on that? Yeah. Okay. Now, there was also another lady. Her name was Pamela Michelle Murray. She was 23, and she disappeared on Valentine's Day, 1987. That's weird. That's two holidays. Yeah, from the parking lot of the Asheville Mall. And her body was found later that day on an isolated section of River Road near the Asheville Recreation Park. Hmm. And Murray's vehicle was used to transport her there. And she was shot while attempting to flee. And her killer later returned her car to the mall's parking wow. lot. Wow. So he drove her off. She tried to get away. He shoots her and then takes her car back. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. But I don't know. What do you think about it? Do you think it's possible this guy did it? I mean, it's possible. Those crimes hadn't been solved. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm on the fence about it because, I It's mean, not the same as Karen's. Well, he killed this girl and he left, I mean, everything. He didn't take nothing with him. I mean, he's like left a trail of evidence right to him. I mean, he left the wrapper. He left the gun, the shell casing. He left uh, the magazine, everything right there with her. Yeah. And then 
this, you know, there's nothing there really. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I guess maybe he didn't have nothing to leave, but he didn't really seem like the smartest criminal here. No. So I don't know. You would think something that somebody that clumsy with with evidence, you know, they would have found something here. You'd think, yeah. I mean, did they did they check this car for prints and stuff? I don't know. We need to, I guess, look into them cases and yeah, try to find out. Yeah, because you know, surely if if it's the same fellow, I almost bet he wasn't wearing gloves. Probably not. Especially in 1987. He wasn't thinking about nothing like this. No. Which I don't know if they would. Surely they checked it. I would hope so. Yeah, because, you know, in 1994 when Karen was killed, he left all that stuff there, you know. Yeah, and, just left a whole pile of yeah, stuff. Yeah, so. He and got, then took the gun back. He hadn't got any smarter. <laughs> right, right, right. That's what I mean. It just seems like this is a pretty clumsy criminal to have to uh, kill two other ladies and not got uh, caught. That's right. But now there's a little bit more to this story. Sheriff Medford, the one that helped interrogate Richard Allen Jackson. Right, when talked him into talking. Yeah, he remained in his position there as sheriff until 2006 when he lost to a guy by the name of Van Duncan. Now, Medford, uh, he was a corrupt cop, Dale, mm. uh, who pressured witnesses. Is this allegedly? Or? No, this is, okay. this is it. He pressured witnesses for testimony or his own detectives to make the case, sometimes on flimsy evidence or witness accounts of in murder investigations. So he was known to, to twist and bend the rules here a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Because um, he was uh, serving some time. Oh. Yeah, he had served 14 years of a 15-year sentence wow. on corruption and extortion charges for accepting bribes from illegal video poker operators in exchange for allowing their businesses to operate so he was way corrupt not yeah. just from this okay yeah but he ended up dying in federal prison in uh, june of 2020 after contracting covid19 wow yeah wow yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i didn't know that yeah so he was a he was a bad cop he was mm-hmm. he was yeah he was out there getting paid so this could be one of the reasons why uh richard allen jackson was has been on and off death row all this time right Makes it makes a little more sense. Yeah, like I said, you know, before if it's a, if it's, you know, for for sure is different than if you don't. Yeah, you know, I mean, I know there's a lot of people been convicted on stuff that that have a, a ton of evidence, but I'm saying, you know, when we said no, I mean, if you if you witness it or somebody sees something, you know, like guy walks out in the yard and shoots somebody in the head, and you sitting there watching it, you know, they done it for sure. Then I don't see why it takes so long. I know, I get it. And another sad note to this, uh, Karen Stiles' father, his name was Thad Stiles, he died from cancer on November 25th, 2010. Damn cancer, man. Yeah. Sad story. It is. It's very sad, and um, but there's no doubt they got the right guy oh, yeah, in sure. Karen's case. For sure. But there's, there's so many unanswered questions about this. When the bad part is when you have a corrupt cop going in, and that's what messes up everything. When they, You know for sure this dude did it. I mean, he still had the wrapper from the magazine at home. He had the stun gun at home. He didn't get rid of it. They found it, you know, and everything else. They found the partial uh, bullet box, and then the dummy took the damn gun back to Kmart, and they had the, the receipt and everything, and they knew he bought all that stuff. That's right. But then they mess it up by trying to make him confess. Yeah. You know, they, I don't think they would really need much more than all that evidence, truthfully. No. Because it would all link up and matches. You was there. You were here. We know you did it. Yeah. 
But Karen had just a bright future going for her, and this was it was taken too short, man. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. She accomplished more in those for, uh, few short years than most people do in a lifetime, I think. Because man, she just wow. Yep. But anyway, that is the story of Karen Lynn Styles. Yep. Pretty rough story, though. It is. It's, it's sad, but I'm glad to. There is some resolution for it. So maybe yeah. we can look into them other cases that are unsolved there in Asheville and see what's going on. Dive into them and maybe help help yeah. on those a little bit. Right. All right, dude. We're going to get out of here, man. Okay, let's do it. We want everyone to be safe. Please be careful on the trail and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is Crack the Crack House, House Chronicles. Chronicles.